We've all heard the expression, swim 2.4 miles, bike 112 miles, run 26.2 miles, and brag the rest of your life. What you don't hear is that your friends, your family, and especially your coworkers grow tired of hearing about your early morning swim, how you skipped lunch to get a spin class in, how you crushed your brick workout, or how you've become a math whiz at calculating your macros. My name is Mike Bosch. I have a wife, two sons, and a full-time job. Five years ago, I began my triathlon journey with modest intentions. I wanted to lose some weight and be able to claim that my best athletic days weren't behind me. After completing my first sprint triathlon, I was bit by the Ironman bug. Three years later and 50 pounds lighter, I completed Ironman Texas, and I couldn't have done it without an incredible support system. Everyone needs a support system, and that's what I'm offering you. I will talk to men and women just like you and me, the age group athlete that is juggling family, friends, work, and all that life has to offer on their journey to accomplishing an incredible goal. This podcast will offer recommendations on training, nutrition, some tips and tricks, and even strategies for race day. Whether you're training for your first race, looking to set a personal best, or have completed a full distance race on every continent, we all want to cross the finish line and hear those words, you are an Ironman. Wherever you are on your journey, this podcast is for you. So if you're ready... Let's talk to this episode's Everyday Iron Man. Welcome to the Everyday Iron Man podcast, where I talk to real athletes just like you and me that are working to complete an incredible goal. My name is Mike Bosch, and I'm excited to have with me today Pete Jacobs, who is the 2012 Iron Man World Champion. He is currently a health coach who focuses on energy, performance, nutrition, and longevity. Pete, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. Good to be here. I am I am so excited to be talking to you today. And for the listeners out there, you heard that right. You are, in fact, the world champion in 2012, right? So I did a little bit of research, and I did confirm that that is true, Right. Yeah, yeah. No age group champion. <laughs> Not the age group champion, but the actual world champion in Hawaii. And and so based on my internet research, it said that you completed the entire course, start to finish, all the disciplines, transitions and everything, in eight hours, eighteen minutes and thirty seven seconds. Is that does that sound accurate to you? Yeah. For that year, yeah. Okay. Okay. And so based on my rough calculations, and now I know that the, the, the race course in Kona is different than the race course in Texas, but based on my calculations, I might have still been on the bike when you were finishing the race. I'm just going to throw that out there for perspective on how much faster you are in this sport than I am. So I am humbled to be in your, in your presence. And not only did you win, like I'm, I'm going to tell you the facts of your life like you don't know. That's how this is going to go for a second, right? So not only did you win in 2012, but you were, you were actually the second place finisher in uh, in 2011. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, and, and a faster time. <laughs> oh, is that right? So you actually had a faster time the year before 
and you came in second place. Yeah, that's the conditions, that's the race tactics, that's, you know, what, what goes. But uh, the year before when I came second was actually a much more emotional um, finish. Um, you know, on, on my podcast and health coaching and things, I chat about um, the, the central governor and the, your brain controls your ability to perform well. And if you have to dig really, really deep and dig hard into pain tolerance and motivation, adrenaline, cortisol, those things to get you through the race, you fatigue more. And so when I came second, I had to do that. I was in a lot of pain uh, on the marathon. I was battling for second place with Andreas Rayler, who finished third in the end. And I crossed the finish line and just was in tears. It was like, oh my God, I've come, I have did it. I've pushed from that battle and ended up coming second. And then the year that I won though, I was much more prepared. I'd prepared with trigger phrases and, you know, the mindset, the the visualization and everything. So race day was much calmer, cooler, collected. And I was in first place from about halfway into the marathon. And from that point on, I just needed to not stop. Like I just needed to keep moving forward, doing what I was doing. So, you know, I finished the race without having to go into that pain tolerance and adrenaline and all of those other hormones and, and factors. So I finished the race in a way less fatigued and less emotional because I wasn't in that hole of, you know, kind of emotional fatigue. Um, obviously much, much happier. I was like a kid in a candy store and, uh, and everything was free. Uh, it was just an amazing feeling. <laughs> that is so interesting because I have, I have uh, long believed that the second experience is oftentimes better than the first experience, but I didn't realize that there was science behind putting yourself through through stress and anxiety and things like that, right? The, the, the first time you do anything, there's the unknown. Like you just don't know what you're getting yourself into. And then the second time you do have that basis of uh, experience to lean on. And it definitely, uh, I do believe or agree that that, uh, that affects you. So I was going to, I was going to ask, and you, and you touched on it for just a second. So I was looking up your, your splits, I guess, as it were, right? So um, it had your, your, your swim, your T2, all that. So there was a point in the race, uh, in 2012 where you actually, you didn't lead the entire time. Is that correct? Yeah, no. <laughs> okay. Cause looking at your splits, it looked like you could have, I mean, it, it, it literally mm. looked like you could, you know, it just depends on positioning and things like that. I mean, you, you had an incredible, I mean, it must've been a sort of an incredible experience to, 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 to go there and to win that. So, so let's, I'm going to back up for just a second. So 2011, you came in second place. What was, what was 2010 like for you? Like what, what was your, you didn't, you didn't just go to Kona when you started, right? You had to have, you know, this is the everyday Ironman where we talk about, you know, everyday athletes that are, um, working to, to balance everything mm. out. And I know, uh, you know, as a coach now you, you probably work, with uh, people that are in that that category, but what was it like for you leading up to before uh, Kona or or finishing in the top ten of Kona was a real realistic dream? Well, I won't take you back all the way, but my first Kona was two thousand and four um, as a professional. So I chose not to go as an age grouper. I chose to wait until I was professional because from my first Ironman event in 2002, uh, I was like, yep, I want to be really good at this. This is what I believe in my instinct, my heart that I can be good at. So a couple of years later, turned professional and went over there and I DNF'd, which is did not finish. 
So all through my life, I've struggled with being a bit more fragile than the everyday person. So fatigue is, you know, my my problem. If I overdo it, I'm fatigued. I couldn't explain it, but I would not be able to get my body moving and ask it to do anything. So whereas some people can just push and push and push and until something literally just snaps, um, I would just have fatigue. So I trained really hard in 2004. I was over there in LA training and went into the race and didn't want to be there. I could barely get my heart rate up on the bike ride. Emotionally and physically, I had no energy whatsoever. And now, after years and years of trying to figure out what energy is and why I had that fatigue, I understand it all so clearly now. And it literally was a lack of my body being able to produce energy through a number of various factors. So I got off the bike and there was no way in that state of fatigue. Like, So fatigue will affect you emotionally and physically because your brain doesn't have any energy either. So your brain is just unable to will you to do anything. So DNF'd, um, there was plenty of tears. I was quite upset. You know, it's quite hard to pull out and not finish in Hawaii. And then on and off for a couple of years, so I miss a year, do a year, miss a year, do a year, slowly climbing up for about five years or so. And then in 2009, I went over there and I got um, eighth place. And I was running pretty well by then, so I had one of the quickest runs. In 2009, I had the quickest run and it was the fourth no the, at the time the third ever quickest marathon on the Hawaii course so it was a two, 241 marathon um, only behind Mark Allen and Dave Scott for for run splits and now only behind Patrick Lang Dave Scott and Mark Allen um, so I was a good runner so that got me into ninth and the reason I was ninth and not a bit further up was because I got a five minute penalty on the bike for taking too long to pass someone. So it's one of those tricky, tricky physical or physics, you know, you've got to pass someone within 25 seconds or something. But if everyone starts to go down a hill and everyone suddenly picks up the speed and I can't go any faster than I can physically go, I just couldn't get past the next people and they ping you for sitting out wide for too long. So that should have been more like a, a fifth or sixth kind of thing. So I should have been climbing the ladder consistently. Went back the next year with the goal of third place, achieve uh, a top three, sorry, of podium. And I achieved a podium, got second. Um, and then from that day, it was right, okay, I want to win this now. And a key point um, that I like to say is that I, I believed that I could win Hawaii since my first Ironman in 2002. It was like, yep, I believe I can be good enough for this. But in 2011, coming second, it was like from that day, okay, I want to win. And I changed my mindset. And so I actually was more motivated. I was more committed. I did more things to keep my body and mind moving towards first place only. That was the only thing I pictured. And I just did more things a lot of the things that I did were just the mental changes, the mindset changes that I did that helped me to go in there and, and have a better race and also train better as well. Yeah. So I appreciate you, you walking us through that. And that's just an incredible journey. I, I until, until you said that in 22 to, or 2002 that you believed you could win, I was going to draw the comparison to the fact that what, 
I, I did Ironman Texas in 2018, so maybe I could win Hawaii in 2028. But but I knew, I knew that I knew from the very beginning there was no chance, right? So so I guess I, we, that's our difference. That's our difference right there, Pete. So that's the difference. You you believed you could do it, and I know that I can't. And so we'll we'll just we'll just leave that there. Um, so obviously, um, there are so many components to triathlon and Ironman, right? And so the the swim, the bike, the run, the nutrition, right, which is kind of the fourth thing. But you're saying uh, mental preparation, right, was is another key key component, is what I'm hearing. Um, that that maybe doesn't maybe the everyday person doesn't really take into consideration because we're dealing with our work stress and our home stress what kind of advice would you give somebody like what 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 could be what is something that somebody could do or should be doing to prepare themselves in that area um you need to build awareness and you need to build resilience so and the two work together so resilience would be in a stressful situation you're able to remain calm and not have a stress response. So you're not suddenly going to have that adrenaline, cortisol, anxiety, worry, fear, all of those other things happen. Um, And there's physical and emotional things that will exhaust you from a stress response. So you build resilience so that you get better and better. You get comfortable with being uncomfortable in a way. So that when things start to hurt, when you get tired when you start to have any anxiety or things like that, you actually, and this is where the awareness comes in, you're aware of what you're doing or thinking that is making this getting worse and you change what you're doing. So that may mean, for example, um, for example, the year that I won, I was second off the bike, but about seven and a half minutes down. But i in training, I knew that my lower back would get tight and to release it, I would need to do some hip flexor stretches. So about seven kilometers into the run, I stopped and did some stretching, even though like for most people, that's where when you've got this ego, when you're not present, and that's the other thing, main thing is being present so that you can make the right decisions throughout race day. Um, So that means a quiet confidence. So I had a quiet confidence of for me to get from A to B as quickly as I can, I need to actually stop right now and do what I've practiced in training. And so I was aware that my back was tightening up. I had the presence to stop and do what I was doing in the moment rather than get carried away and think, no, I can't stop. I need to keep chasing this guy down. Um, And then thirdly, I was resilient enough that I wasn't panicking in that situation. So I could make the right decisions as well. Um, And that little bit of change in my body position, I'd practice that. So mentally when I did the lunges and I mentally paused for a second, when I got going again, it was as if it was the first step of the run once again, and I was fresh once again. So, I mean, you know, I could, I speak to clients for, you know, hours about this sort of stuff. Um, There's so many layers to how it all connects together. But in terms of a practical approach to do this, um, you need to practice having a quiet mind in a very short space of time. So let it be, you know, five breaths into the belly while you stare at nothing and have a completely empty mind. 
And then you take that empty mind. Once you kind of can do it and get good at it, maybe you attach a trigger phrase to it. So then it's like, you know, no expectations is something I use. Or in 2012, the word love was a word that I used. Um, and then you can practice it more and more in exercise. So whether it's running, the gym, on the bike, you practice that when tension starts to build up and you get aware of the tension mentally or physically, you then can use the trigger phrase to calm yourself, become present, and then you can do what you need to do to remove that tension. And often it means just backing off a tiny bit. Sometimes it means walking for 10, 30 seconds. But whatever it is, you don't want to keep training or doing anything with tension because you're training your body then to operate in this stress response rather than building up a resilience so that your stress can actually go higher and higher and higher in terms of the effort, the output, while emotionally and physically, the stress response doesn't build up. Wow. So it takes so practice. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm making some notes, so I need to develop a trigger word. So so w- let me ask you this. So when, when you're working with clients, what, do you, what is harder on average, just anecdotally? Is it harder to the awareness to be aware of when you're in that situation or is it harder for to become resilient? Like there's some things that I am aware of, I can't stop. Like I know that I do things that are annoying, but I can't stop them. So, but there's other things that I that I don't even think I notice. And I think if I did notice them, I could stop. So in your experience as a coach, which do you think your clients have the most trouble with? Is it the awareness or is it the development of that resilience? Um, well, they tend to develop them alongside each other, I guess. Um, is is one harder than the other? Um, no, I think the, the people that are attracted to me have got a, a sense of awareness already. They want that sort of holistic approach. So I'm not attracting the people that want to just train at, a, at their max effort and go as hard as they can all the time. You know, I work, attract people that want to have that healthy, holistic approach so that they aren't just flogging themselves to their limits and over their limits every day. So that type of resilience would be, you know, the wrong type where you think, oh, if I just, no, no pain, no gain. And if I can push right. through pain and I'm tougher, then I'm better for it. So you end up building up this, you know, you end up working out all the time and living all the time in this sense, in this state of, you know, fight or flight sort of. So your stress response is always, you know, like um, I've got this and I need to push hard or else I'm not actually doing anything good enough. So your ego, which is everything in the past or the future, and, and that's where I'm coaching people through ego and they, they get it. They all get onto that pretty, pretty well, but it's an ongoing process. So basically allowing yourself to become aware of ego and then the awareness of ego builds and builds and builds. So for example, a, a tough place for that is in the gym. So you're doing a group session and, you know, you've got, been given like, X amount of workouts and everyone's doing it as a group and everyone's watching each other. And I've got this guy that I'm coaching who's um, about 28 years old or something. So he 
can see around him that everyone else is, you know, really pushing themselves and also exerting a persona that they are pushing themselves. So their ego is actually there. So they'll keep breathing really heavy. They'll put their hands on their knees and they'll bend over. They'll walk around going, oh man, that was hard. Oh, geez, I'm so, I, I really pushed it today. Like, oh, coach, did I do good? Like, I'm really, really sore. So it's all complete BS because your muscles don't have words. Your muscles aren't making up words. It's all coming from your head and your ego that is telling you that I need to let people know that I did a hard effort and I need to let myself know that I did a hard effort. However, what that does is that builds up that behavior pattern of your body being working out in fight or flight mode with, with the ego triggering it. So what you actually need to do, and it's quite difficult and hard for some people, is that when you do a hard effort or any effort, there's no response, in, there's no emotional change. So let's say you're in a gym, this is where it's very difficult, or at the track and you're doing run efforts with someone, and you finish a sprint and then you just walk around as if you've done nothing. Sure, your breathing might be a little bit elevated, but you can control that quickly if you try slow your breathing down, nose breathe, you can get under control really quick. You can walk around with a good posture and a bored look on your face as if nothing has happened. And if you do that, your, your resilience builds up dramatically because you're working hard to control your emotional response in a stressful state. Does that make sense? So it you does. put yourself in a stressful state where your, um, your instinct is, ego is, I need to respond as if this is stressful. I, I need to let other people know that that was stressful. And so you perpetuate that stress response. But when you stop it in its tracks, as soon as you become aware of your ego and your mind and your body doing that, you stop it, you stand with good posture and posture instantly gives you your mind, the feedback that you're safe and you're comfortable and you're in a growth mindset and in a growth uh, reaction in your body, um, as opposed to you bend over, breathe really heavy, hyperventilate. Um, so you're, you're losing a lot of physical and mental adaptations when you give in to the ego. Um, so it's quite difficult to do. And that's why I say I I chat to this for quite a while with clients as each week there's a little further awareness and they go, oh, wow, I really noticed in the gym I did this. And and they can the coach actually noticed and they came up and said, oh, you're like, you're quieter today. And it was just like, so people notice that and, and it's difficult because then people think that you aren't putting in an effort if you're not showing that you're putting in an effort. So, well, that's because, yeah, because everybody else probably thinks the same way. And, and as mm. you're telling that, as you're telling us this story, and it makes total sense to me in my mind, I'm applying it to non triathlon related activities, how, you know, stressful situations with work or family or whatever. And we're, we're conditioned or I'm conditioned. You're not conditioned because you've got this thing mastered, right? But I'm <laughs> conditioned oftentimes that I have to display you know, express how I overcome or overcame my stressful situation, right? So that I get that validity. Uh, so it's kind of the, it sounds like almost the same thing. So it's totally making, uh, totally making sense to me. And it sounds like it would be so much healthier for me, 
right? If I could learn to deal with it the way that you're describing. So that's going to be something that I'm going to, uh, I'm going to make note of and I'm going to, I'm going to work on. I will say that while I am not nowhere near a, a, a great athlete or anything like that, which is the beauty, the beauty of triathlon, right? Is, 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 it's for anybody can do it, right? It's, and we all, we all race the same race together. I know. Isn't that the coolest thing? But I have done a much better job, uh, over the past couple of years of controlling my breathing and being able to calm myself down and being able to lower my heart rate a little bit, uh, better. I went to the doctor, uh, three years ago for a checkup and they did, um, they were doing routine stuff and they checked my, my resting heart rate and the, girl checked it again and she's like i'll be right back so she goes and then they put the things on me and they're and it was like 45 and they were like what do you normally do like what is your and so i told them like oh okay okay they were a little nervous for a second they're like your heart rate's way too low and i was like well i'm training i'm doing these things and so i, I think i do a better job of of controlling that well so, so you're working with uh, clients now. So you, you live in Australia. I don't know if anybody could tell by your accent, but you live in Australia, right? Yeah. And um, so, but you're still competing, right? Not at the minute. Um, my last race was just before COVID um, and then COVID and then just kind of focusing on the, the health and performance coaching business. Um, and yeah, with COVID and the random races and everything, like, I don't know if I'll come back because I'd had health issues since I was young. Um, after winning Hawaii, it got harder to keep those health issues at bay. So my fatigue got worse and worse. Um, I ended up taking 2018 completely off, just saying like, I need to figure this out because I've been looking for answers for you know, two decades since I was a teenager, I've been looking for answers um, and slowly making progress. Anyway, took 2018 off, raced a little bit in 2019 and then, um, yeah, came back and did a few races. And then, yeah, March, March 2020 was, um, you know, just a little half Ironman local one sort of thing. And um, yeah, and then COVID and then just other things became priority. So whether or not I'll make a comeback, I don't know. Um, we'll just wait and see how the body goes and how the business goes and what I what I find passion in. And yeah, we'll just see. So if you were to never race again, I mean, obviously having won Hawaii, you could be like, you know what? I did everything I needed to do and you could close that chapter and you'd be okay with it? Um, yes and no. The, all the things that I've learned about how the body works since then I do want to test and find other limits. Um, and that's what it was always about in Hawaii was finding my limits. The winning was a, a bonus and a validation of, yeah, you got really good at this. Um, but it's also, it's much more about how can I push my mind, my body? It's the journey and the journey never really ends. There's no destination. So I think that's how a lot of professional athletes feel some feel very different i think it all depends on your own personality type but mine is mm -hmm. it's about the journey and and figuring out how the body works and so that'll never end and so we'll just see if that fits in with racing again or not gotcha and so right now um in in australia obviously i'm in a, i'm in the united states but every every country is in a different position because of the pandemic and i don't talk about it a lot but mm. um what is it like where where you are 
now in in June of 2021 are you, are you guys able to get out and about are you still under uh, certain restrictions yeah well every area is different the the worst area has been melbourne down in victoria and so they've had a lot of lockdowns they're in a lockdown this week again because there was a few cases but i mean australia is very much like if there's two or three cases we have we'll lock everything down because we don't want two or three to become 2000 and so they have been hit really hard. They have been um, limited in all their movements for a lot of last year. Um, they've been one of the most um, locked down cities in the world. Um, but up here in Noosa Heads in, in sunny Queensland, we've kind of barely noticed that it's that it's been on. Um, there was a period back in, you know, around that uh, April, May last year, I think, where there was, we couldn't really go sit on the beach. You had to, if you went for a swim at the beach, you had to go to the beach, swim, exercise, and then leave. So we didn't notice it too bad here in Noosa. We've been really lucky. Um, And so we just kind of keep our heads down and don't stress about the rest of what's going on too much because, oh yeah, it's it's a a minefield of information and uh, yeah, and, and emotions and all of that. So I've kind of just, you know, stay present, stay with what I can see, with what I can deal with, with what I, I need to uh, focus on. Gotcha. So, so have you been able to see your clients in person or are you doing vir- virtual consultations? Mostly it's all virtual anyway, because um, clients are all around the world. Um, so yeah, it hasn't really affected uh, how I operate at all. And okay. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's been it's been really fine here. <laughs> so how does how does that how, how does that work? Help me help me because uh, I do want to like so you're so you're coaching. Is it do you focus mainly on the the mental and the nutrition and things like that? I mean, obviously, you're not uh, setting up the laptop in the swimming pool and somebody mm. in, in somebody's and you're like no 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 you got to kick it's it's not you're you're kicking too hard right you're not doing that kind of coaching. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I do a bit of everything. Um, I really prefer focusing on the, the the health coaching approach, which is have a Zoom call and we go through anything that you need to talk about this week. And then also, and then I start giving advice for like, okay, well, this week we need to focus on this mindset tip, which is say, let's like this week it's trigger phrase and we're going to also use music and we're going to um, slowly cut down your carbohydrates in your food to real food. And, you know, it depends on what type of people, but there's, there's issues in priority. So if it's more around, um, fatigue obviously is kind of at the higher end of these issues. Cause if you aren't getting energy at a good level for your brain and body, then it's very difficult to do anything. You know, you're not happy. You've got no willpower, you've got no motivation and even, if you did have the motivation and go out and exercise, if you have got this inflammation that's causing the fatigue, that's causing the lower oxygen levels in the cells, if you go exercise, it can actually induce a lot of stress. So you need to be quite careful with how much you do exercise when you do have fatigue. So there's different priorities. Um, food is a big one. So we just try and work on inflammation factors, be it emotional inflammation, um, work on nutrient dense food so that there's the nutrients are there to support the improvement in a 
energy production. So, you know, it's all those different hormones, all the different energy production pathways, they all require quite a lot of different nutrients. Um, sleep is a big one because if you can't clear the stress out from the day before, then the next day you're going to wake up still with the stress, which will further inhibit energy production. Um, and then a lot of mindset stuff does come into it a little bit. So um, one client I was just chatting to the other day, we got quite deep. There's different levels of mindset. So the stuff that I've already mentioned a little bit, you then can take it much deeper. And there's all these other little hacks that you can do when you are incorporating mindset in different ways into exercise, for example. Or if you already meditate, let's now incorporate that meditation style that you do into how you exercise and, you know, different things like that. So we can go quite deep into building resilience. They're just steps that we take. So the, if people want to kind of stay up the top um, and they're not, and they're already good, their energy levels are good, they don't have anxiety, they are always um, pretty switched on, like they don't get brain fog and other issues of fatigue, then we don't need to delve very deep into improving that by going deep within the kind of meditations during exercise type stuff. Mm. Um, and meditation is a very broad term for just quietening your mind and being aware. Um, but then with the physical side of things, um, I just get people to send me like a five, 10 second video of them running or swimming. And then we'll have a, if, if that's what's come up that week, We'll chat about that that week and, and really work on technique um, technique and mindset and awareness and breathing. Breathing's a really big one. So, you know, there's so many levels to each different topic that, you know, we, we really don't run out of things to talk about <laughs> yeah. and improve each wow, week. I get, man, I just, I, I, there's just so much to this that I've never, uh, I've never really dealt into, which is probably why I finished at the back of the pack, right? Um, which is, well, even, you know, it is what it is. Even but... uh, the professionals are still leaving a lot on the table um, as well. There's there's so many hacks that you can do if you wanted to train in that way. So a lot of people are much more like, I, I just I need to train hard. My coach says this is the workout I need to do and I need to do it. And they therefore they're not building awareness while they're getting coached and training. They are... And one athlete came to us recently who'd been overtrained by his coach for, you know, kind of a month or two of, of everything it was about 80, 80% of his workouts were in that gray area of like threshold and above. And he totally lost all aerobic capacity. So we had to go right back to, to math approach and nothing, nothing with an elevated heart rate. We had to focus on limiting his breathing. So that helped rebuild that aerobic capacity of carbon dioxide tolerance and um, and yeah pretty soon it started to come back and we're probably about a month in and he's starting to see power like he did about three months ago but so mm. if you're just exercising without the awareness without this without that you can actually detrain yourself um, aerobically and as well as we said you can detrain your ability to stay calm in a stressful situation so there's a lot of layers. So we'll just work on it all. So, so you touched on a couple of things and, and I, again, I can't uh, thank you enough for, for, you know, sharing this knowledge with us because, um, you know, we're just everyday guy, you know, men and women trying to accomplish this goal. 
Um, you touched on something a second ago about the sleep and, you know, getting up early, working a full work day, and then sometimes whatever. And not, not and everybody's different, I know, but ballpark or average, how much sleep should somebody be getting a night? Would you, would you recommend? Uh, seven to eight hours, I guess, is a rough ballpark. Wow. But it really depends on, um, like, because we, we all stay alive. We all, we're all still living, breathing, doing things, right? Um, some of us can handle more stress than others. You know, it's just sort of genetic predisposition to what is going to fail when we have, a, uh, when we have an overload of stress. Um, but sleep, so we can all sleep. We will all still sleep. However, some of us will have a really deep recovery pattern, circadian rhythm of hormones, so that when we sleep, we have a big input of the recovery hormones that come in and clear out all that rubbish, that byproducts of stress. And so the next morning we wake up feeling pretty good. Other people who don't have a strong circadian rhythm, which is your 24-hour cycle of hormones, then when you do sleep, you're not actually getting some good recovery sleep. And then if you go to bed late, um, and this isn't for everyone. Some people are slightly different. Like I said, if you've got a strong circadian rhythm where going to bed later suits you and you still feel amazing all the time. But for a lot of people that have any sort of fatigue issues, you need to get to bed earlier before midnight. So I would say hours before midnight count as double because naturally you want to line up with the cycle of the sun. That's just over you know evolution, millions okay. of years. We our circadian rhythm of seeing sunlight during the day, um, getting exposure to different UV levels and different inputs from the sun, vitamin D, nitric oxide, things like that help set our circadian rhythm. And so that when you go to sleep, if you're going to sleep, you know, let's say it was only a couple of hundred years ago, we were going to sleep when it got dark. You know, there wasn't a lot of electricity. There was, you know, candles yeah. basically. So nowadays, we, we really have become blind to how much things have changed in our environment in the last, you know, 50 years. Um, and now every month it's getting worse. There's more, there's newer TVs, there's brighter phone screens, uh, there's, there's brighter TV um, computers, and we're all working later and on screens later, which is the blue light, which is like, you would only see that in the middle of the day. So we're seeing a light, spectrum that we evolved to only see in the middle of the day and now we're seeing it like 8, 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night and that blocks the hormones from having this circadian rhythm so that at night time our body is not recovering. So you may still get tired, you may still sleep but your hormones aren't allowed, They're not. you're not allowing your hormones to do it their thing which is to come in and clear out the stress. So a big thing for, for people that we work with is just start being really consistent with getting to bed earlier and minimizing screen time um, almost after dark. And after dark, there's hacks you can do to change the colors on your screens. Even your TV screen, you can change the brightness and the color spectrum so it's a little less bright or a lot less bright. Um, whereas a lot of people will have their screen as bright as it is at night as they have it during the day. And yet, you don't need it anywhere near that bright at night. And um, 
So yeah, you're just blocking hormones and recovery. So that's that's a really important thing um, for sleep. I, I wrote that down as you were saying that. I'm like, okay, I gotta adjust my phone or, or not not because I'm I'm bad about it too. I'll I'll watching videos or whatever late at night and yeah. not even realizing the effect of that. So that's mm. awesome. Let me let me ask you this, Pete. And I feel like you know we're friends now. I can call you Pete. But um, when did you know? that you wanted to go into coaching. Like I, I would imagine that as a as a professional athlete, you had a coach. You seemed very, very I don't know what's more your knowledge or your passion, right? It's hard to tell based on the conversation because they mm. they both seem very, very high you know, in, in what you're, what you're speaking about. So obviously you've done your research and you, this isn't just knowledge that the average person comes across, right? This is something that you've definitely spent some time to, to learn, to seek out and all that. Mm -hmm. But when did it, when did it become apparent to you that this was going to be something that you wanted to pursue and take on and to be able to work and to help other people with? Yeah. So it's, 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 I like the way that you put it, knowledge and passion, you know, to, to different things or are they the same? And I guess be, when I look back and I started having fatigue issues when I was about 15 years old. So I went from being quite bright at school naturally to barely passing any subject by the end of school. You know, So I hit that 15 years old. I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't um, motivate. I would procrastinate. And it's that brain fog feeling. If anyone's ever had that, it is that inability to focus on anything and you really just want to go lie down in bed all the time. And it's a complete lack of ability to produce energy, basically, from because of inflammation from one thing or another. Um, so over time, then I became, okay, I'm good at this. Um, I kind of am understanding how the body works. And technique was a big thing. So that was probably the first thing I started coaching was technique, particularly running technique. And that would have been around around 2012 a bit when or 11 when I started working on my own technique and I started to understand it more then I started to coach it and understand it even more through coaching it and then um yeah carried on just being a professional triathlete a little bit of coaching here and there and then it was probably about three or four years ago when I sort of started to think you know the amount of knowledge and, and the amount of problems that I've had in my life and had to overcome um, through this sort of fatigue issues, different training, the mindset tips and things that I've, I've been privileged to meet some amazing coaches and mentors in my career. You know, that's what happens when you, when you become world champion, doors do open up. So when I was having trouble, I would get referred to some incredible people who have opened my mind up to this whole mindset and how deep you can go with it when you connect it to what you're doing physically um, on, on so many levels. Um, and then I had a mentor when I won in 2012. So I was still doing all my own coaching program. I just had a routine and I pretty much stuck to it. I followed a run program out of a book. That was my weekly run training. Um, but the mentor gave me analogies to help build that confidence that quiet confidence and he would be he was like a he was the mentor a bit like a health coach is now um where they ask you well are you are you sabotaging yourself like because you're not doing this or you're doing that um how does it feel when you do this and 
those deeper dives are the conversations that I had with this mentor. And that kind of helped me understand myself more. It helped build confidence through his analogies um, of referencing me to, you know, and telling me what books to read, like read Seabiscuit and read this and sort of make all those analogies of myself to other successful um, people or animals. And yeah, then I realized, yeah, three, four years ago that um, I've built up such a knowledge and I know that I'm still learning, which is sort of what always over the last few years, I guess, and, and, and it's definitely been in the last few years, I now understand what knowledge is and isn't. So I understand what I, the more that I know, the less I know. Um, I understand that a lot of what I know now will be proven wrong, or I will just simply change my mind when new knowledge becomes available. So that ability to be really, really open-minded, um, it pretty much is growing day by day. So that ability to, and that's what even doing the health coaching certificate really taught me a lot as well is you learn that you just have to be curious all the time. So hold your opinions, hold your advice, and just be curious with what's going on with that particular person that you can change their behaviors through just getting to know what they their subconscious is thinking much more so than oh here's what i think is right you just should go and do that um so i really enjoy the process over the last few years of learning um to be much more tolerant learning that why people do things um they don't even know why they're doing them um certain behaviors and all of those things i'm, I'm super curious about that and um you know, a, a bit of philosophy comes into it. I've listened to many hours of philosophy podcasts. So I've done so much um, self-growth over the last few years that now I'm at a point where, I, yeah, I'm really passionate about it now because of, you know, the ability of learning how to be curious and, and learn more about people, um, help them in a different way, much more so than just, um, here's my advice, go and do this. So that's, yeah, so it's just, it's growing and growing and growing. And now that I'm actually, you know, somewhat qualified, um, you know, I, I really enjoy working with people. And um, yeah, and, I'm, and, and like I say, the people that are attracted to me, it always has just been a perfect fit. You know, they've already, you know, they're, they're willing and open to do all of the things that I do end up suggesting, but we kind of, through them, we prioritize them and take a little step at a time. And it's just a really cool process when they come back to you and go, oh yeah, like I did that. And it was just a totally different experience than any other time I've been to the gym. And wow. And then they tell you, oh yeah, it's, it's working better at work. It's working better in my relationship. It's working better um, in my health and energy levels and my anxiety and I'm getting off some medications and, you know, these things are huge changes in their personal life, which, you know, as a coach, you can't direct and you can't give advice on how to, how those changes are going to happen. You just change the big picture of how their body works, their mind and body work together and then all of the other things start to um, fall into place and everything just gets better and it, it's um, so cool. So from Iron, some are Ironman athletes 
and some are just you know regular everyday people that just want more energy and and feel better and less anxious yeah that i i think that's probably the thing that to me i found so interesting as you're describing is it's it's more than just hey you need to cor- you need to correct your your gait when you're running or you need to you know um increase your uh, VO2 max, or you need to do, right. You need to learn how to side breathe better. Why you, you, the, the, the changes in the, the mental and all in the stress management, that's something that's going to apply to all aspects of your life, not just your, your triathlon, even though that takes up a lot of time. But that to me, I think listening to you explain, um, your, your passion and, and the things that you're focused on. I think that's the thing that's the most interesting to me at this point. That is, that is so cool. So, so l- let me ask you this, cause we're coming towards the end of the time and I'm, I want to, you've been so, so very generous. Um, what, what, what would you say it to the, to the average person, um, who's going through, you know, you know how, it, you know how it is. Everybody's got a training plan and it's run this many, miles or hours a week, you know, bike this much, swim this much. What would you say besides those things is something that somebody could completely do that would uh, uh, help them? Is it meditation? Is it nutrition? Is it sleep? Is it turn your phone off at six? Like I made a note of like, what, what would be that one little thing to get somebody headed the right direction? Would you say? Oh, I'm not very good at giving one little thing advice. <laughs> um, as right. you've heard, there's so many layers and they all they all interconnect. Um, they all, you know, if you change one thing, it will affect another thing. Um, a lot of people, for the main thing that we do most often is breathing. So that's the most regular thing that we do, that if you change that, then you can improve your health and fitness without even exercising. Um, So I've done a podcast and it's on YouTube as well with a guy called Patrick McEwen. And he's a breathing expert. He's written a couple of books. Um, One is called The Oxygen Advantage. and And it literally is an advantage if you can hack the system to get more oxygen into the cells, which basically means you need to improve your carbon dioxide tolerance to get more oxygen into the cells. And to do that, you need to breathe less. So if you're sitting there and always mouth breathing, or when you go for a run, you're expelling a lot of air all the time. Or if you talk a lot of the time, talking, you know, it's kind of like a hyperventilation type thing. So over breathing will expel more CO2 than you want to. And then that lowers the oxygen levels in the cells because CO2 exchanges with oxygen. So hyperventilation, low CO2 creates low oxygen in the cells. You get lightheaded and weak. If you slow your breathing right down and at times, so this is an exercise that you just do, is you just breathe less. So you actually create a little bit of an air hunger while you're sitting there driving, while you're at work, whatever you're doing while you're exercising, you just try to breathe a little less than you are right now. And then that will increase the CO2 levels, which if you get them high enough, it starts to trigger the diaphragm to like, oh, hang on. It like gives you that little convulsion of wanting to breathe. Um, but what's happening is you are literally getting fitter 
anytime your desire for breathing increases. So you don't have to be exercising wow. to increase your desire to breathe, which is in, which is a reaction to higher CO2 levels. So you're adapting to higher CO2 levels, which is what fitness is. So that's the first thing. And the second thing, I'll just add the second most um, uh, common thing that we do, frequent thing that we do is eating. You know, simply eat, eat real food, eat unprocessed, eat low carb um, and you know, let your body adapt to burning your own fat and give your body a break from that constant anabolic response of high sugar and high insulin. So it's literally, you know, you go exercise and you that's the period for your body to be catabolic. Or fasting while you sleep, that's the period when your body should be catabolic. However, if you have zero fat adaptation, even when you exercise, you're still only using sugars. Even when you sleep, you're still only burning sugars. And this is a very lower, this also lowers oxygen levels in your body, having high sugars, high insulin levels. Um, and so the better you can become at getting fat adapted, again, the better you will recover while you sleep, the less stress you'll produce while exercising, the more oxygen you're always going to be getting through to the cells. And then you do want to get as enough fat adapted that you then can use ketones for energy. So then bonking becomes like a non-event. You will never feel as if you've got low blood sugar. And it's human evolution that we would have been doing up until about probably 100 years ago. Some people on the planet are still doing it. Now it's the cool thing to do, but it's not the cool thing to do. It is literally just how your body survives when your blood sugar drops a little bit. So it's beautiful to exercise or fast and your blood sugar drops and you don't even notice it because you're, you've built up those pathways for using ketones. And that takes time as well. It's not a switch, you know, one day on the next day off and you're going to be amazing at ketones. It's the same as exercise or, you know, trying to increase your ability to burn lactic acid as fuel. The pathways take time to get better and better and bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, so yeah, just give yourself time to make changes and um, your body will keep adapting and adapting and adapting to, you know, higher CO2 levels and lower carbohydrate levels. And, you know, it's an amazing change uh, for health and longevity that your body will thank you for and, and performance in, in exercise and every day. Wow. You, I got I to gotta be honest. I have made so many notes, Pete. I, I'm, I'm starting to rethink my run in 2028 for Kona. I mean, it's possible if I could, <laughs> if right. I could, if I could somehow figure out to, how to apply all of this uh, information that you gave me, I might have a chance. Um, let me ask you this one last question. How would somebody get a hold of you? So if somebody's listening, like, I want to be trained by a world champion. This guy sounds like he knows his business. I, I want what you got. How would somebody reach out to you? Uh, to, to what, what's the process you set up like a consultation? Yep. And then there's a bit of a boring question. You know, for your, our last question Is I it? thought was going to be like, you know, a good hard hitting last question that, you know, <laughs> uh, look, just if you, um, our, our business is Live Your Own Fit. So you can go to the website and contact us through that. But the easiest is probably just jump on and send me a message through any of the social medias, which is just Pete J. Jacobs um, on Instagram, Twitter, you know, Facebook Messenger. Um, that's a really easy way just to say, hey, 
um, and I'll just say, hey, what's your email? I'll send you some details. And then we generally just hook up a 15 minute discovery call um, just to get to know that we're on the same page, that we both want um, either a one-off consult call, which would just be like, you know, 90 minutes, which some people just book straight up. They already know, look, I've got these specific questions and I just want to know the answers and I want you to put me on the path and then we'll touch base again when they've put that into practice in a month's time or so. Other people, it's just good to work um, every week or say three calls a month. Um, so that's just an ongoing kind of monthly quota. Um, and then through, if they if they do that, it's it's a better option because then if we speak today, you know, tomorrow you can resend me another video of your change improvements in run technique or your changes in diet or questions about why you're feeling flat today. Um, and then we work together ongoing month by month. And then we have a few calls, uh, yeah, a few calls each month, but then you've got that constant contact as well. Um, so I prefer that. I do take on a couple of clients in terms of writing actual programs, um, but they are generally um, pretty limited because that's not my, my passion is building that awareness so you can kind of coach yourself. So that you can see the improvements you I teach you as much as I can teach you so that you can then become aware of when you when you stray off the path down the line and you're like oh yeah that's right well I had that late night and I had that cake and beer so I don't need to ask you why I feel rubbish today <laughs> like it's pretty obvious yeah yeah so I just want to on your own yeah pass on that knowledge and awareness so that people can um, make their own decisions um, which for some people, depending on how far they're coming from, so fatigue issues are generally going to be like a three-month process of it's a slow haul to get from chronic fatigue levels up to a good enough level that you then can kind of fly on your own, I guess. Um, whereas other people, like I say, they have specific things. They're like, oh, I just... I do these sessions every week. I'm not going to change them, but how can I make them better? And how can I improve mindset and my approach to ego and those things? And we can just do that in 90 minutes. Um, yeah, so gotcha. it's, it's cool working with all these different different types of clients in different ways. So would you consider yourself a people person? Um, I'd like to. I'd like to be a better people person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I, I really love talking about this stuff that I've learned because I've experienced problems since I was 15. So my passion comes from like all the lost time in my career, all the lost opportunities in races, the lost ability just to have fun. Like I, I would, I've had in all up, I've probably had at least a year of my life in days where I was so brain foggy and fatigued. I just wanted to stay in bed. Um, I wasn't, I didn't enjoy doing anything. I didn't enjoy walking the dogs, going for a surf. I had the inability to do any of that without, you know, getting anxious and tired and, you know, just hating every step kind of thing. Because when you, there's no energy getting through, um, it's a horrible experience that I just want other people to, you know, stop suffering like I did and just be like, right, I want more energy. I don't want the anxiety. I don't want this um, lack of joy, you know, it's the biggest thing is just that lack of joy in things. Um, so you really lose time and you just want to spend time in bed because 
it's like there's a complete massive just fog you can't think you can't do anything um so i managed that through managing you know things that i learned myself was managing ego when i was younger in my 20s and the fatigue issues were there so i could manage not training when i felt tired so a lot of my experience comes from yeah managing that ego when i was young and understanding ego that i would get dropped by other people out training but that didn't matter because what mattered was that I wasn't overtraining and that on race day, I would still be able to perform well. So listening to your body, ignoring ego, you know, I've done all of that. And, um, and now the last few years have been a really deep dive into understanding all the things that have gone on for the previous 20 years and how I can help people not experience that like I did. Yeah. Wow. Well, obviously, um, you know, it's un uh, unfortunate that you had to go through that personal experience, but it does sound like you've channeled your energy towards the right thing. And it definitely does sound like you are uh, enjoying being able to help other people deal with their situation based on your own personal experience, which is obviously something that you can't learn in a book. Mm. Um, some things we just have to learn through, um, you know, going through it ourselves. So it's, it's, I, I applaud mm. you for put, putting that energy the right direction. And so, so live your own fit or, uh, Pete J Jacobs on Instagram hit you up. Pete, I, 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 again, I can't thank you enough. I was like, a, I was like a total little kid. I'm like, Oh my God. The world champion is going to be on my podcast. This is so cool. But I, I can't, uh, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on today. Um, hopefully, um, the, the, you as the listener, you, you, you got some tidbits, uh, little notes. Um, definitely reach out to, to Pete, um, hit him up, schedule that consultation, uh, and he'll put you on the road to Kona. It, it was a guarantee. I, I, he didn't say it in so many words, but he was his body language. I could tell that you'd be on the road to Kona in, in no time, not 2018 because that's my, or 2028, that's my year, but any other year, <laughs> uh, hit up Pete and he'll get you on the road. So, uh, this, uh, thanks Pete for joining us and, uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks Mike. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you have any questions, advice that you would like to share, or would like to be a guest on the show and share your story, you can email everyday Ironman podcast at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to follow on Instagram at Everyday Iron Man Podcast. Until next time, keep moving forward. <laughs>